0: Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Passionate about standing
1: up for all Canadians. The Roy Green Show continues.
0: Great deal has been said, written, and commented on as far as the uh, the contratons, uh, as my friends in Quebec would say, between British Columbia and Alberta about uh, the Northern Gateway pipeline. No more BC wine, and then they gave up because the Premier of British Columbia said, "We'll go to their courts to decide." Have the courts decide whether the extension of the Northern Gateway Pipeline is going to be permitted. So I don't know who got hoodwinked. Maybe they hoodwinked each other. But what's what's going on is, and this isn't the first time, is that our national economy is hurting because of these kinds of initiatives or these kinds of events. We bring hundreds of thousands of gallons or liters of oil into this country every day but we don't export our own, and we don't use our own as much as we should and as much as we could, because it's politically incorrect, and there's an orchestrated and concentrated effort underway to stop the development of Canadian natural resources. Calvin Helene, who's the chairman of the Eagle Spirit Pipeline Group, told us a few weeks ago that uh, there are American organizations that are just pouring money into this country and particularly trying to appeal to indigenous peoples to get in the way of the pipelines. Vivian Krauss is the acknowledged expert on this issue. She writes uh, for the Financial Post. She's also on Twitter, at Fair Questions. There's a website we'll talk about in a minute. And uh, We're glad that Vivian is with us because this is a hugely, hugely important issue. It's not being properly addressed by premiers or by the prime minister. And Denny Coderre has gone, so we don't really have anybody to yell at who will yell back stupidly. Uh, Vivian, thank you so much for coming on the show. Good to talk to you.
1: Thanks so much for having having me, Roy. Great to be here.
0: Yeah, let's talk. First of all, give us an, an outline, please, of what the concern, what the issue is, and then we'll talk about where the money's coming from to block the Canadian, the, the, the mining and the, and the use and the, and the exportation of our natural resources.
1: Okay, well, as you just said, Roy, you know, the issue here is that our national economy is being hurt. In fact, uh, Scotiabank just a couple of weeks ago came out with a report which said that the, the cost, the loss in, in royalties and revenue to our country because of the fact that we can't export oil to overseas markets is something on the order of $117 billion over the last few years. So, you know, whenever you have something that's impacted our whole country to the tune of more than $100 billion, we have a big issue here. And, of course, um, you know, there's a lot of controversy now over pipelines. They didn't ever used to be an issue. No one used to talk about pipelines. And They wouldn't even be in the news. We wouldn't be talking about pipelines at all. This is basic infrastructure that's under the ground. It's out of sight. Nobody thinks about it or talks about it. But it has become a controversy, and that has been deliberately manufactured. It's been created um, as part of a systematic campaign, uh, financed um, by U.S. interests. And now, you know, this campaign has actually been in the works now for about 10 years, and it's got to the point where it's, it's having a significant impact. It's preventing um, our, our, our country from being able to build major infrastructure projects. And now, of course, the spat between British Columbia and Alberta is spilling over to other industries. It's even hurting industries with small companies like, you know, small wine producers. So this has really gotten to the point way, 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 way past where it ever should have gotten. But it's time now. We are where we are. And we need to ask, you know... Why did we get here? How did this happen? Mm-hmm. Um, who's behind this? What's actually going on? And what do we do about it?
0: so you did uh, you did a lot of digging and you found that uh, there's money coming from the United States in in large uh, amounts, and the money is being directed to uh, specific groups and organizations which will get in the way of pipelines for the development of natural resources. What did you find out? How did you uh, how did you come on it? and who who should we be most concerned about? Where should the focus be?
1: Well, those are all the key questions, Roy. You know, I stumbled across this. Uh, originally, it it's, goes back 15 years now that I've been looking at this, to when I worked in the salmon farming industry. And then I guess it was about 10 years ago, um, I was actually a, a director of a nonprofit, a, a charity, um, that tries to find families for, for children that need to get adopted. Anyway, while I was doing that work, I stumbled across, quite, quite unexpectedly, some payments for the Campaign Against Salmon Farming. And this is where I started to look at at the funding behind activist campaigns. So for a couple of years there, I followed the money on the campaign against farm salmon. I traced the funding on more than 100 organizations, and it all came from the same source, was the Packard Foundation in California. And what I found was that the campaign against aquaculture was part of a much larger campaign to prop up the market for commercial fisheries. So they were campaigning against the farm salmon in favor of its competitor in the market, which is the wild salmon, most of which is coming from Alaska. And what I found is that, of course, the exaggeration um, of the environmental impacts and risks of aquaculture, not to say that there aren't any. There are. There are legitimate issues. But by exaggerating the, the environmental impacts, they were mitigating or softening the market impacts because commercial fisheries, in fact, had been really hurt by the aquaculture industry that produced actually a product that chefs like better, consumers like better. So this is what got me looking at environmental controversies from a marketing perspective. And, of course, then, while I was still doing that research on on salmon farming, I just stumbled by accident across a large number of payments for a, a thing called the Tar Sands Campaign. This was back in 2010, seven years ago. And at first, of course, you know, there was absolutely no publicly available information about it. So we had no way of knowing What it is, you know, this tar sands campaign, we didn't know. Was it against Gateway? Was it against the Keystone Pipeline? You know, what was it about? But, of course, what's happened over the the last seven years is, you know, drip by drip, more information has come to light. And, in fact, last fall, the individual who has been directing this this campaign now for for more than than a decade, his name is Michael Marks, he put on the website of one of the organizations that's behind the scenes that, in fact, from the very beginning, and I'm, I'm quoting in the man's own words, he said, from the very beginning, the campaign strategy was to, and I quote, landlock the, uh, the tar sands crude to keep it out of international markets where it could fetch a high price per barrel. So now there we have it, you know, straight from the, the individual who's been behind this this campaign has funded more than 100 organizations in Canada in the U.S. and in Europe, The Tides Foundation, um, which is an organization that has been an intermediary between the large billionaire philanthropists who are financing this and the small organizations that are receiving the money, Tides alone has made more than 400 payments, more than 400 checks and wire transfers to organizations that are all involved in creating a fuss over pipelines. And, of course, there are legitimate issues, you know, associated with our use of oil. We use more than thousand barrels of oil per second. It's an enormous amount of oil. There are legitimate issues and they need they need to be addressed. But what's happening now is that economic and trade interests are being protected. The US monopoly is being maintained by these campaigns that are preventing the construction of pipelines. Mm-hmm. And, and that's we, really we have what to this is we, all about.
0: we have to remember that our our oil, when it's sold in the United States, is sold at a discount. So it's not as though we're making uh, the kind of money or earning the kind of money that would help our economy and help our social programs and help our needs uh, by selling our uh, our oil and, and gas only to the United States. It's not it's not something that we can uh, continue forever, because they have huge supplies themselves, and uh, eventually it's going to be about. Alternative industries, but not, uh, alternative energy, but not right now. The oil is still a, a huge factor. Now, did I do I understand correctly that one organization has put more than one hundred and ninety million dollars
1: into this country? Yes, that'd be the Gordon and Betty Moore Foundation. Now, I I would clarify that not all of that money um, was for the campaign against pipelines. The Gordon and Betty Moore Foundation has put one hundred and ninety million dollars, most of which has gone for what they call marine planning. Okay, but the trouble is that and these marine plans involve the creation of parks. so it's zoning of coastal areas usually to exclude um, um, the you know, tankers and infrastructure ports, anything to do with the fossil fuel industry. so in other in other words, this marine planning is blocking trade. Now uh, that's I'm all for marine parks. you know there are sensitive areas, you know, breeding grounds for all sorts of species, especially the large mammals. We, ne- we really need to set these areas aside. And we're such a huge country, you know, we can actually afford to do this. But what we've got to make sure is that these marine parks are being funded, planned, and put in place for the purposes which are legitimate, mm-hmm. not to block trade.
0: Can you hold on a second, please? We just have to take a break. Vivian Krauss is uh, my guest on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. And uh, we will come back and we'll ask you some more questions that matter. What are our governments doing? What are the the people who supposedly are pragmatically taking care of our affairs doing about this? Are they trying to score brownie points? Are they calculating what will get them elected? Gee, I wonder. The economy of this country needs to come first because the economy of the country is what takes care of the people of the country. There's a direct connection. And when one organization from the United States alone puts more than $190 million into, into Canada, albeit not, not just for pipelines, that should speak volumes about their level of commitment to stopping our, stopping our economy. Ultimately, that's what it comes down to. More with Vivian Krauss after this. One of the most
1: respected and experienced broadcasters in the industry. This is The Roy Green Show.
0: In 2016, Laurie Ackerman, the mayor of Fort St. John, sent an open letter to the British Columbian community And in part, she writes, Canada has 83,000 kilometers of pipelines. Three million barrels of crude oil is transported safely every single day. B.C. has over 43,000 kilometers of pipelines. If we took that oil out of the pipelines, we'd need 4,200 rail cars to move it. How many of those cars would you like rolling through your community? Between 2002 and 2015, 99.9995% of liquid was transported through our pipelines safely. You probably spill more when you fill up at the gas stations. And she uh, adds, I understand why you don't want tankers floating down our beautiful B.C. coast, but did you know the USA has been shipping up to 600,000 barrels a day of crude from Alaska to the Puget Sound through the Salish Sea for the last 20 years? That was written in 2016. Vivian Krauss is my guest. At FairQuestions on Twitter... And uh, she's discovered uh, where the money's coming from and where it's going to from American interests to uh, vilify the oil and the natural resources industry in this country to stop the pipelines. And, uh, and Vivian, that's for the, to the benefit of the United States.
1: Yeah, you pretty much sum it up, Roy. You know, I, I think that the key question we need to ask here is is in whose interest is it mm-hmm. to keep Canadian oil out of world markets. In fact, those are the, that's the way that Bill Good phrased it. He's a longtime broadcaster in British Columbia where the media is finally now starting to to discuss this issue. But that's the question we have to ask, you know, who benefits when when these environmental groups are taking a sledgehammer to the Alberta oil industry. Meanwhile, there's absolutely no such multi-million dollar campaign against Texas no campaign against North Dakota, no campaign against Oklahoma or any of the other U.S. states where the oil production has boomed, and that's the thing that we have to we have to uh, I think deal with is that as a as a as a world we're 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 embarking on this great green shift right. Everybody wants to go greener, everybody wants to be more green. And that's great, that's terrific. Nothing wrong with renewable energy as long as we can afford it. But what's happening now is that in the name. And under the guise of protecting the environment, US, the United States is getting an unfair advantage because Canada is being kept out of the global markets. Investors are being scared away from Canada. We're losing out on hundreds of billions of dollars of potential revenue. Meanwhile, oil production is booming in the United States. They have lifted their export ban, and the U.S. is now exporting oil to more than 20 countries. And where no, is the? the
0: and Vivian, where is there the sound of the peep of even one protest about the tankers coming down the Saint Lawrence River, and going through the environmentally sensitive Gaspe region, to Montreal to the refineries? We don't hear anything. Nobody says a word. Nobody's up. Nobody's up in arms against it. And yet Denny Cauder wanted to stop Energy East from going through Quebec, and the federal government did nothing to uh, really intervene. So. Are our politicians, they're not asleep, they're aware. They must be aware.
1: Oh, of course they're aware. So there's I mean, something think, going on here. We have to think of the, of the predicament that our, our prime minister is in, in particular. You know, One, one of the, the things he's got to deal with is, of course, it's pretty impossible to keep everybody happy. You got, you're going to have to disappoint somebody at some point. And think of it in terms of the Canada-U.S. relationship, right? You know, you know, the United States, they really don't need much from Canada. But there's one thing that they need, that they want, and they want it desperately, and that's our oil. Because right now, about a quarter of the oil that the U.S. uses is from Canada. And, and the thing is, if they weren't getting that oil from, from Canada, they'd be bringing it in from the Middle East. They'd be even more dependent on East oil. So if we build pipelines, what we are doing is breaking the U.S. monopoly on our oil. That's what we need to realize, is that these the real issue here isn't so much the environmental risks. Those can be dealt with. And we are competent people, engineers, scientists, and technicians. We can build these pipelines, but we have to realize that in building them so we can export to markets other than the U.S., mm-hmm. other than taking it by land across the border, we break the U.S. monopoly. We take away their exclusive access to international Uh, exports of our oil
0: and they play they play rough these people play rough
1: well we yeah we we just have to you know we have to realize that our prime minister for example if he were to back um northern gateway or energy east then he's choosing canadian interests over the interests of his pals in the u.s and that's that's what we need to understand is imagine look at this try and look at this from the eyes of our prime minister he's got a very difficult choice to make you know, I think if he, if he were to, to approve the type of, of uh, pipeline projects that the former prime minister approved, he would get the exact same frosty response. He would get the cold shoulder from the United States just in the same way that the former prime minister did. So that's the issue. That's why it is so important for Canadians to understand the predicament, understand the difficult choice that whoever it is that is in the office of our prime minister has to make. That's not an easy choice. It's not an easy thing to tell your neighbor, hey, that one thing that you want from us more than anything, that one thing, the exclusive access to our oil exports, can't have it. Because now we want to sell to India. We want to sell to China. You think that the United States wants to happily give up that?
0: No, and I I don't. And Vivian, I've got about 30 seconds, but i tell you what I would do if I was the Prime Minister of Canada. I'd say my interests are Canada, my interests are the Canadian people. America will do what we can. We won't do what we can't. Get in line. I know, I know it, it's easy for me to say that in the studio, but trust me, if I was in the PMO, I'd be saying the same thing.
1: I believe you, Roy. I believe you, and I'd be saying the same thing, too. It's a lot easier said than done, though.
0: You would be, be my natural resources to minister. I've got to I gotta run. About it. Vivian, i got to run. Please come back.
1: love to. Thanks so much, Roy. Thank
0: you. Vivian Krause, at FairQuestions on Twitter. Dan McTague, when we return from GasBuddy.com, how much is it costing you to fill up, and why?